We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aitlin is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house! And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. Keep pounding on three! One, two, three! Keep pounding! Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Roar. Brought to you by Blue Wire. It's been quite a long hiatus for the two of us. And to introduce myself, I am Billy Marshall. And as always, joined by my esteemed co-host, Mr. John Ellis. John, what's going on? Welcome back. It almost took seven years. <laughs> it's good to be back with you, man, to talk some Panthers football. Been, been quite an off-season for our cats. And we still have the owner not deciding to speak publicly. And I want to lead off with the responsibility of what has gone on over the past, I would say, 18 months uh, or or 15, 16 months with the whole Deshaun Watson pursuit. Okay. Um, Obviously, people have their feelings towards it. My feelings are very simple. I don't. I don't think that any franchise should be pursuing him uh, because of not only just because of what he's, and I understand like there's a legal process and all that stuff. Okay. I'm not denying on that, but uh, you know, if we really want to get, in, get into some of the legal, um, I mean, the justice system in America, we can have a separate podcast on that, but I'll just say this, that the justice system in this country, um, especially for the rich and powerful is, uh, it's always geared their way. That's just the way it is. Okay. My issue is that they spent an exorbitant amount of time pursuing this option and they struck out. The, I mean, it's the final line. They struck out. Now, some people have issues with the guaranteed money and all that other stuff. Again, I, I wanted no part of him whatsoever. Uh, and I think of him as a very talented quarterback, but being a quarterback is more than just what you can do on a football field. It's all the off field stuff as well. And uh, for me, that's where I kind of just drew the line. And I've been pretty consistent with this. I criticized Ron Rivera in 2014 for playing Greg Hardy in that game against Tampa when he 
I mean, after the pictures were revealed uh, that Hardy straight up just abused his partner at the time and gave her like some pretty like significant wounds and scars. And I thought that was a disgrace. So I'm pretty consistent with, and again, I don't think you should have a football team um, of 53 choir boys. That's just not possible. But I think there are certain legs that you have to stand on. And in this situation, especially a franchise type position, I really was not a big fan of what they went through. Okay. Now, second part of that, you went through this for 15 months and you still struck out and we still haven't heard anything publicly from the owner, the GM or the head coach on why they struck out on why this, why they even pursued it. And just like what the plan is moving forward. Now I'll give credit to, uh, Scott Fitter, he's spoken at the combine. He spoke, you know, he did an end of season presser as well. Uh, Matt Rule did the same thing. Obviously, he didn't speak at the combine like some of the other head coaches, but he did have a gaggle with uh, local reporters. Um, but I think, I, mean, I think the Falcons did it today. Arthur Smith and their GM, they spoke about, yeah, obviously because they traded a franchise icon and Matt Ryan, but they also. Uh, were exposed to the questions that came with the per- their pursuit of Deshaun Watson. And I think the same thing should be asked of the Saints. And obviously, whenever Cleveland introduces him, because I don't think this is a very good look for the league as a whole. Uh, and the fact that they guarantee the money, it's even a bigger slap in the face towards their female supporters. And again, some people don't care about that stuff, and they just want to see wins and losses, and that's fair. But I think it's um, important to bring this up because not many people in the national media outside of like Mina Kimes and Greg Rosenthal and uh, a few others have really tapped into this. Uh, so that's just my stance. I know, John, you had a different stance on it, um, but I feel like the organization or the fan base at least deserves an explanation on this strikeout that you know, occurred in their pursuit of this quarterback. Well, let me be really clear. These are, first of all, let's start with 22 allegations, which is troubling. Highly troubling. Uh, The only reason I consider this to be a possibility is just from talking to people around the Clemson program and understanding Deshaun the way I did from his past. It struck me as quite possible that some of this was overinflated. But the more I got to understand what was put against him um, and what very likely he brought upon himself, I don't think we're too far apart, Billy. I think Number one, if you were going to do this, and by the way, you're right. The the fact that the the league overall has gone out of their way to sort of celebrate this move with much of their national media, like the the main insiders. I'm not going to mention names. You know who I'm talking about when the move. Yeah, I got you. Big move. You know what I'm talking about. That that seems to be maybe a deflection from the Brian Flores stuff because it's been a minute since we've talked about that. So this is good business for them to focus on stuff that, you know, they, they can mitigate, I think, to a certain degree with Watson versus this lawsuit that still looms that we haven't talked about in, it seems like, five years. So there's that element of the PR situation. But, yeah, I agree. Like, Rosenthal, Mina Kimes, a couple of others yourself have been very vocal about the fact that Watson presents not only a PR problem for you, but just a, an ethical issue. And I, I even talked about this, that, and I got flamed for it on, on a certain message board out there by one guy. And then there was a couple of people on Twitter that took issue with this, but, and then there was Frank Garcia, by the way, the former Panther who decided to step into Deshaun Watson's corner and defend what were allegations versus what I said, which was, look, 
when you go all in and you make a pursuit for a guy like this and you come up short, it looks just as bad as if you land him. It's almost worse, Billy, because Carolina was first in line. I mean, they, going back to last year before any of this surfaced, reportedly they were willing, and this I think Florio, maybe Albert Breer, and a couple of others reported the fact that they were willing last trade deadline to make the deal for Watson without him settling any of these civil cases. Whereas Stephen Ross and the Dolphins reportedly, that was Deshaun's preferred destination. They were willing to do the trade if he had settled, and he didn't. So I think that tells you something about what's ahead for Deshaun. It's an interesting question on his end because, yeah, I, well, this is not a Cleveland podcast. That's their issue. That's their problem. At some point, they're going to have to face the media. He's going to have to face the media and answer questions beyond depositions. And that's going to be an interesting watch. But, yeah, for Carolina, look, at, at the very least, your owner and your, your, your coach need to be out in front of this. And I find it interesting, Billy. We've been hard on Matt Rule, but for the right reasons. We haven't been cheap-shotting him. We haven't been going out of our way to criticize the guy. We've been very fair. But when he's put his foot in his mouth, like he did oftentimes last season, over much more marginal stuff, talking about you know football elements of the game right after the game, criticizing the defense in the Eagles game, criticizing Newton when that wasn't his fault, the Bills game, things like that. Those are elements you can point to and say, that that's not good communication, good messaging. But to go dark like this for the owner not to address the media after the season – but then to show up at the soccer game where the Johnny Cash thing and, you know, Ooh, let's go. Here we go. Let, let's let's celebrate. It just shows you where his mind is. Courtside at the Hornets. Ass. He was courtside at the Hornets. Where Matt Rule basically said he doesn't feel like he can take his son to a Hornets game. Yeah. According to the interview, you got temper courtside, not giving a fuck. So, I mean, excuse the language, folks, but that's that that's some contradictory elements right there when you look at the fact that – yeah. Okay, you know what, Matt Rule, this is a hot seat year for him, no doubt. And it's it, it, going all in on Watson, no question. They talk about, quote, collaborative effort, collaborative decision. I'm sure everybody was all in on this. Fitterer, Rule, the owner especially, from the very beginning. And it just strikes me as, as remarkable that they did all that. They were consistently, the, at least from the buyer's end, the front runner in terms of what they were willing to do. But then at the very end, Tepper, now you can say this is a good decision. You can say it was some cowardice. I, I, I haven't made a judgment on this at all. It just is what it is. Reportedly from Jonathan Jones and others was unwilling to do with the guaranteed money down the road. Mm -hmm. and I personally think that was smart because we don't know what's going to happen next. you got 22 individuals, Billy, who filed civil suit against Watson for some pretty damning shit. Yeah. And who knows if that's going to get settled, when it's going to get settled. And the fact the Browns were able to come back at the 11th hour and, and take it from the Falcons. By the, by the way, the Falcons are just a cursed franchise. Let's talk about what yeah, they have gone through the past couple of days here. But uh, my goodness, Bill, you know, I, I'm with you. I think it just the national narrative has been blinded to the fact that there, there are some damning things going on with Watson. I get these are football shows, football programs, and they try to put football in the forefront. And hell, so do we. But yeah, you've been very outspoken about this. And, and to that point, I always thought one of the worst things that could have happened is what happened. The fact that you do all this from a PR standpoint, you go the distance, you make no secret, this is who you want. And now you're left with Sam Darnold at the very end. You, you, don't, yeah. you don't land anybody else. You, don't, you had opportunities with guys like Russell Wilson, with others. But this speaks to who wants to be here. Mm -hmm. They've landed some solid free agents. We'll get to that in a minute. 
I, I applaud them for going out and addressing some needs, but they still have no left tackle and no quarterback. So let me just actually tie this up real quickly. And I want to make one thing clear. I, I don't blame the failed Watson pursuit on, well, certainly there's some blame to go around on the coaching staff and the front office for just how the past two seasons have gone, but I don't put the uh, responsibility of not speaking out on Matt rule in, in this regard. Okay. Because this is, this seems to be owner driven, the, the Watson pursuit. And I don't think, I agree. I don't think anyone can disagree with that. So I don't necessarily put, um, you know, responsibility for Matt coming out and speaking to the press. This seems like, you know, something where you're changing up the board of directors. You're making, I mean, he's making his wife, like, you know, giving her a very high profile position uh, on the board of directors with the sports and entertainment program. And he's trying to make his wife more visible. Uh, and mind you, the Browns, did the same thing. I mean, a week before the Browns were celebrating women in their organization. And uh, I mean, Jimmy Haslam's wife, D Haslam, is essentially like the co-owner of the team. So uh, there's yeah. quite a bit of cowardice going on, not only with uh, the Panthers, but the Browns too. And I feel like, um, you know, the Panthers would have taken it in a pretty like hypocritical way um, just by saying that, oh, you know, like, uh, you know, David Tepper's wife is, has a big voice within this organization and she signed off on it. So, Whatever. Okay, I'm not going to go into hypotheticals, but my point here is that this seems to be the responsibility of the owner and fans deserve a right to hear from what they have to say. Now, some female fans, you know what? They might not care, but I will say that I've been, I mean, John, you've been to plenty of games at Panthers, you know, at Bank of America Stadium. Uh, They have quite a few female fans who attend games, more so than uh, other teams that I've Another thing, PSL owners, PSL owners as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not trying to kind of cross examine fans because, um, you know, that's just not what we're going to do. But I do feel like there is a portion of the fan base that deserves to hear an explanation. Okay. And my my, my final point is this. Okay. Let's just remove um, Watson aside. Okay. Let's just take this um, from a 30,000 foot view here. And You've been pursuing this quarterback for over a year. You're willing to give up the most assets among the four teams and among the teams in the NFL, but you're not willing to guarantee him the contract because you have a very high opinion of this guy if you've been following him for this long and you're willing to part with several draft assets and maybe even players. So, I mean, they're, they're just all over the place and... This entire just it just kind of speaks on a reflection of their the organization having no clear plan at the most important position, in my opinion, in pro sports. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now, you know, there there was talk about Bayfield. Apparently there's no interest. As Aaron Wilson reported, there's mutual disinterest, which was the funniest headline I've ever read. and that may be very well true, but it's lying season, and we know that. So who 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 knows what to make of that? From what I've heard, no no one's going to trade for Baker without splitting that salary, that eighteen million, because he's got a fifth year option. You're stuck with Sam's. This goes way back to yeah. last year. This time, you know, where, where they did go all out. You saw what the compensation package was for Matt Ryan, a third rounder. Carolina traded three draft picks for Sam Darnold. Now hindsight's twenty twenty, but I think at the time, though I was probably semi optimistic they could do some good things with Sam. I was also a little bit concerned about the draft capital. So they did that. 
And then throughout that process, you know, they were all in on Watson. So again, this was in the middle of doing all that. Watson was very much on their radar, as were the quarterbacks in this past year's draft. So never were they totally sold that this quarterback they traded three draft picks for was going to be the answer. So a lot of that falls on rule. A lot of that falls on Scott Fitter. My understanding from John Alexander, Charlotte Observer, is technically, now this is very technical, Matt Rule still has final say over roster. So when you get right down to it, you know, that includes every element. It includes trades. It includes free agent acquisitions, uh, the draft. The feeling I get is Scott, his team of like Dan Morgan, guys like that, the scouts, have sort of shifted the power balance a little bit. And as Jonathan told me in an interview recently on Fox Sports Upstate, there's less resistance. There's more of a willingness for Matt to yield there. So I think that's a sort of a PC way of saying his power is waning a little bit. And that's naturally what was going to happen for a coach who was given so much money, so much power, and is yet to show in the acumen to really dissect what talent is at this level, especially quarterback. And it's not that difficult to do. I mean, sitting at home here, it's easy to say, but at the time it was looked at as a, okay, kind of move with Darnold. So now they're stuck in a situation where they, they put all their chips in the middle for Watson. They freed up all that cap room. And then the very next day, Billy, I found this interesting. These weren't bad moves. I don't think for the most part, they went out and they made some signings. And I thought it was interesting from a PR standpoint, just to sort of clean up the dust there. Let's get all this done quickly with these other free agents we've talked to so we can turn the page on Watson. Lo and behold, it's in Atlanta's court at that time. And then Atlanta gets bamboozled by Cleveland. And then suddenly the the Carolina Watson narrative is in the rearview mirror. But I think it's important to remind folks not to be a negative Nancy, but to be a realist. This team was all in at the front of the line for this guy with all he had in terms of legal challenges. And according to Tony Busby, the, the guy who represents the 22 plaintiffs here, nobody reached out. And yeah. that's not surprising. Nobody reached out to speak to any of the women, to speak to any of the defendants, to speak or any of the plaintiffs, that is. And I think teams just wanted to, they just wanted to get a quarterback, <laughs> deal with the rest of it later. And the Browns, yeah, just did, his agent, I forget, David, I forget his last name. He's a, God, he, God, he's making tons of bucks right now, Deshaun's agent. Um, backloaded that contract to where if he's, he, he happens to be suspended this year, it's coming out of the salary, which is only going to be about 55000 a game because he's getting so much of that in signing bonus and guarantees. It was really brilliant strategy by, by his camp. I'm just shocked the Browns bid on it. But when you need a QB, that's what you do, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. And, um, and again, this isn't just a Panthers issue. It's, it's an entire NFL issue. They just, I mean, you know, Tyreek Hill got traded today, but we can't forget about his past. I mean, he has no, exactly clear domestic abuse allegations. Not a word today. Not a word today about the tall, oh. oh, the cheetah, the speed. Look at yeah, this. Oh, it's, it, it's just, it's just it's gross. hypocrisy. It's, it's at its finest. And it's unfortunate because, again, we do want to talk about football. And I, and I understand that there's never going to be like, 53 choir boys as i already said um and my whole thing is you're gonna have guys like joe mixon and uh, even michael vick but in those situations vick did serve his time okay now he was right unfortunately he did something terrible he served his time he came back in the nfl and got an unguaranteed one million dollar deal with the eagles and he kind of bet on himself and the rest is history okay 
And it, I mean, he was found guilty and that's the, the biggest thing, but there's just too many other instances of, um, you know, NFL players and just, it, again, it's a society problem where the rich and powerful, they have a lot of money. So well, they pay off the biggest lawyers. And when you pay off the biggest lawyers, a lot of yep. these people who are in these situations, um, whether it's women or whatever, uh, you know, a settlement is life-changing money for them. So that's just, I mean, a lot of these crimes just go unpunished and that's just the way it is. But um, again, final thought on this. I just feel like the owner, he he's responsible. I, I feel like he was the main driving force behind this. I don't put the blame on necessarily rule or fitter. Uh, obviously they have to win games. I don't deny that. And certainly if Carolina was a more attractive destination, then that could have helped their cause. Um, but this just uh, speaks to a lot of di- dysfunction that's currently happening with this owner because um, yeah, like I, I, I totally agree. Jonathan Alexander is a very good reporter. And when he says something of that magnitude, that Matt has final con- control of the roster, I believe him. But at the end of the day, who has more power than Matt, the owner? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, this was all driven by, exactly. by Tepper, the, the, from the very beginning. And, and it speaks to judgment. Like, like I said, from the beginning, when they offered Matt rule the contract, they did. I was skeptical. And the pushback I got on that was it doesn't count against the cap. Well, that was not the point. The point of it is judgment. What does it speak to judgment that you retain Marty Herney and he's by your side during that evaluation? And then you you sit in his driveway at Waco and you you basically outbid Dave Gettleman, presumably, for Matt Rule services. All the best to Matt. Look, I, I've been very clear. If he succeeds and he goes on to have a great run here, all the power to him. And I'll be the first to stand up and say, hey, I was wrong about a lot of what I've seen. But to this point, yeah, the judgment doesn't look very good from the owner in terms of he's been here since 2018. Time to stop giving out free passes. Time to start winning. And and I know Watson was a part of his calculus there, but there was a huge risk that came along with that. And and I think just we got to remember as as people who cover this team, fans are are of their own mindset. And I'm like you, I'm not going to sit here and try to tell people how to fan. But just because you went the distance and struck out at the end doesn't absolve you from the fact that you went the distance and you were willing to go very far to bring a, an accused sexual predator, accused sexual predator onto your payroll for a ton of guaranteed money. Maybe not to the extent the Browns were, but that shouldn't be forgotten in, in all this. Yeah, and that's, that's where we're going to leave that. Um, okay, so we'll wrap up the Deshaun Watson stuff there and uh, we'll keep a track on it if the owner ever decides to speak. But uh, let's go into free agency. And John, I actually thought their free agency last year was pretty productive too. Uh, but you did see them move on from a couple of key contributors like Morgan Fox and AJ Boye. And again, this year it's it's very similar. They didn't really take the approach that they're going to sign big splashy guys like a guy like Brandon Scherf or Chandler Jones. Um, they just went after uh, very smart signings who can plug holes and they are reliable NFL veterans. Uh, in addition, you didn't see them make the mistake of last year where they're going out on day one and overpaying Cam Irving and Pat Elfline. Um, so let's go over some of these signings here because uh, I think the biggest shocker, and I want, well, let's focus on the offensive line, okay? Uh, the biggest shocker was the Bozeman signing. I was reading a lot of reports uh, about how his market was expected to be strong and with the kind of just with teams needing offensive line help. I just expected a guy who started plenty of games for the Ravens 
uh, who comes from you know a very good culture to have a pretty like robust market, but he didn't. Uh, and in addition to that, Austin Corbett was another uh, very encouraging signing. Um, you know, he had was drafted pretty high uh, in the second round by Cleveland. Didn't work out there, so he went to. Uh, the Rams and won a Super Bowl with them. And again, I, I feel like the offensive line is finally starting to take shape. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens at the left tackle spot. There was some interest or some rumors, at least, that they were interested in Teron Armstead, but he went to Miami. Uh, also yeah. saw some rumors about Dwayne Brown. I don't know what those are all about. Um, but just give me your thoughts on Corbett and Bozeman. I, th- I feel like those are very two sound signings that – to me, again, I don't know who's in charge of what, but those come from a very Dan Morgan, Scott Fitter type influence. Totally agree. I think with Bozeman, uh, it's a great acquisition in terms of the fact that it's a one-year deal, uh, $2.8 million, $1 million signing bonus, about a million dollars in base, up to five hundred k in uh, roster bonuses per game. So, I'm looking at that from a positive perspective. Just looking at some of the limited tape I've seen on him, he's got some great athleticism, Billy. And of course, playing in that offense with Greg Roman and, and Lamar Jackson, you got to be that way at center. You got to be able to pull out on some of those counter passes. And, you know, in the run game, of course, you got to be able to move, reach, get to the next level. And he's a good, solid force. I'm assuming they'll play him at center. Now, I've heard, you know, rumors that they'll keep Elfline at center to move him to guard. I think at this point, I would probably look to keep Bozeman at center. But uh, whatever they do, they've upgraded there. I mean, the interior part of that line was a disaster last year, even going in. Uh, Elfline never measured up on tape, never measured up to that contract. And uh, though you did mention they did some good things in free agent last year, uh, hour one was not their best hour in terms of Cam Irving and Elfline. So they, they got over that hump. Yeah, and with Corbett, I think that's a sort of an under-the-radar signing. He had a good Super Bowl performance against the Bengals, made a key block on that final drive on that Stafford pass over the middle of the cup. And is another athletic guy that you can plug into right guard. I don't think there's any question that's where he plays and starts from day one. As far as left tackle, they have a you know decision to make here coming up, and that's why the next couple of weeks of free agency leading up to the draft are crucial because Teron Armstead is gone. Dwayne Brown, the rumors were there. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, there's not much left there in free agency. So unless you believe Brady Christensen is your left tackle and you'll go with like a Christensen, Elfline, Bozeman, uh, Corbett, Moten front, which is still an upgrade, I'm not sure if they're sold on Brady yet at left tackle. So that leads me to still believe they, they might go with Darnold one more year here Maybe sign Newton or somebody out there in free agency, a Dalton. I don't know where they go on that end. Maybe they go with P.J. Walker again. Oh, who knows? But I think if, unless they sign Dwayne Brown or somebody that could be a stopgap, the most sensible thing is to go Evan Neal or uh, Aquanu or somebody that's available left tackle and end this madness. Because they, it's like Pat Kerwin said on the radio the other day, if you've got two tackles, you're set. And I believe in that. I truly do. I think that's common sense. And they've got one right now they can believe in. They need a second, but so far, so good on the interior. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree with you, John. I, I do think that the interior, uh, it, it, the interior was certainly an issue, and I'm glad they've made steps to rectify it. And to me, Bozeman sort of reminds me of the Hassan Reddick signing last year, where uh, a lot of people expected Reddick to have a pretty robust market too. He's coming off a career high in sacks with the Cardinals and. 
he settled for a pretty reasonable deal. Uh, now, yeah. obviously, we saw this year that Redick uh, uh, was paid handsomely, as he should. He deserved it. Uh, but I, I think that Bozeman has a chance to kind of rep- replicate that sort of value for this football team. And uh, just this is just my projection, and we'll have plenty of draft talk you know, leading up to the draft. Um, I think I'm, I agree with you. Okay. I, I agree that they should keep Darnold for another year and just take their lumps, whatever they are. Okay. If he doesn't play well, he doesn't play well. Then you have a new regime potentially drafting the quarterback high, but just set everything up. Okay. Now I would take cross Aquanu or Neil or whoever, which one of those three fall, and if they're not available, then that gives you an opportunity to trade back and just continuing to build your roster. We know Fitter uh, is not shy about trading back. And we also know that this team needs more draft assets in the second and third round of this upcoming draft. Right. So I wouldn't be shocked to see them do that. Um, the other thing I want to say here is let's just leave left tackle aside. I do think Christensen would be a pretty um, decent uh, or at least viable part of the offensive line. I think that if you have Christensen left tackle, uh, Bozeman left guard, which where Bozeman has played left guard before, and right. offline center, Corbett right guard, and Moten uh, right tackle. I mean, that's that's you're making progress towards uh, not necessarily a, a you know a top ten unit or anything, but we're we're I'm just asking for this unit to go from terrible to below average. <laughs> that's right, competency. And, yeah, for sure. And I think that unit definitely has competency. And hey, if you want to keep Cam Irving as a swing tackle, that's a fine option too. I've of course it is. Yeah. He, just can't be, he can't be your day one starter. That was our whole thing last year. Is that the, the thought was bringing him in. Christensen would eventually take the reins at left tackle. And, and he would, Irving, that is, provide you that swing tackle flexibility. But they never gave Christensen a chance from day one. And Deontay Brown, another good option as a rotational guard. Um, so yeah, there, there's certainly uh, you know some sort of vision towards competency, and I, I I applaud them for that. No matter who's in charge, I'm not here to say to bash rule or or give all of praise only to Fitterer and Morgan. Everyone involved deserves praise for this. Coaching staff and front office, I think they did a pretty good job of rectifying a pretty um, bleak situation with the offensive line um offensively we'll get to the dj Moore extension in a minute but some of the other kind of uh, value one-year deals that they made uh richard higgins and uh deontay foreman uh, i i will say i like higgins quite a bit i know you do too uh, i mean he was a pretty uh productive player for the browns and multiple offenses uh whether it was the hugh jackson offense or the freddie kitchens offense and then the uh, Kevin Stefanski offense. Uh, so he's gone through quite a bit of uh, turnover uh, and learning multiple offenses. And I just like his game. I think he's a pretty solid option as like a wide receiver three, a wide receiver four. Um, and I think he'll make that room better. And uh, the, the same thing with Deontay Foreman. Again, McCaffrey the past two years has not been healthy. Um, you know, Hubbard we saw last year, while he did present some exciting things, he also had his struggles in certain areas too. And Foreman, he was a very respectable replacement for Derrick Henry last year for the Titans. So, again, kudos to the um, scouting staff and the coaching staff for identifying uh, just, just some players who will come in and uh, be able to just fill out your roster. And you're, if you're going through injuries, 
uh, these are respectable and competent NFL players. No question. I'll start with Foreman. I thought that was a really good deal. I mean, a, a short-term contract. Again, <clears throat> I've heard Kerwin and others talk about around the league how many one-year deals there are in the league right now. It's crazy, Billy. A lot of one-year deals. And it's not unusual. This happened last year. And you still got a lot of guys. A lot of guys in the market still that are going to be one-year deal guys. But I thought Dwayne, um, Dwayne Brown, sorry, Dante Foreman, with what he showed last year down the stretch, when Henry went out, he's got great contact balance, good vision, good patience. He's the kind of runner you want in a downhill scheme, and that's what McAdoo has talked about, uh, at least to reporters and such, that that's the schematics of what they want to do here, a little less zone, a little more downhill power. And he brings you that element. And he's a kind of a, a guy that in short-guarded situations, I feel, for the first time in a while, maybe since C.J. Uh, Anderson can give you that yard you need in a key situation, whereas a guy like McCaffrey, uh, you know, he can he can get a number of ways. He can run with power, but I just think the Foreman thing is a really good one. Higgins, look, he's a, he's a project, but he's also got a lot of upside, a lot of athleticism, good size, uh, liked him out of college, and I think that can only make you better. It gives T.J. Uh, – sorry, a Terrence Marshall, TMJ as they call him, some good competition there at three spot. And yeah, I, I just look at the other things you had mentioned there in terms of signings and acquisitions. Uh, they get a good punter with Johnny Hecker and, and they kind of close the gap there. Now, I, in terms of what you could do from that, he punts the ball. Well, he's up there in years, but he's still got the leg. He can also give you that extra dynamic on special teams where you can try some things. You can try some gadget things. They, they do that about one or two times a year with Hecker. So that's a fun thing. Uh, Matt Ioannidis. There's a good signing, Billy. Good value signing. He's obviously a Temple guy, but sort of supplants Morgan Fox inside. Gives you some three techniques, uh, three techniques specialty there. Damian Wilson's your run stuffer. You know, he's got limited skills and coverage. And then you bring in, of course, uh, Corey Littleton, who had a lot of upside with the Rams and then sort of went downhill. They just signed Rashawn Melvin today. And of course, as you mentioned, DJ Moore, Dante Jackson back in the mix. So overall, when you look at it, Xavier Woods, don't forget about him. Um, who they've lost? I mean, Morgan Fox. Obviously, they've released A.J. Bouye. But uh, they've got Marcus Haynes back. I like that a lot situationally, Billy. I thought that was very smart on their end. Because there is no Reddick now. So it's going to be maybe a platoon of guys like Haynes, Frankie LeBou, and others on the edge. YGM, presumably, if he stays healthy. So, so far, yeah, I give it a, you know, like a B plus. I'm, I'm happy with what they've done. Yeah, I know there were some jokes made after I Dennis was cut um, from Washington that he's definitely going to be a Carolina Panther, and <laughs> yeah, and I he mean, did. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think it's a, it, it was a decent signing. I think wow. I Dennis is actually a good Temple player. So, uh, kudos to you, Matt. For that was one of that was the the man that threw him a bone there. So here you go, Matt. Go get your Temple guy, and that was the one. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Wilson, he, he's a pretty solid, just competent NFL linebacker. Again, you're not going to ask him, especially in this defense, you're not, it's a very interesting defense in that they don't really ask their linebackers um, to, you know, they don't necessarily put pressure or at least stress on them in coverage. Um, they, they, you kind of want them to uh, exert a lot of their uh, skills, like in between, you know, the five yard areas, whatever. I mean, you're not going to have like a Luke Keekley like, robot a uh you know slot receiver tight end like 40 yards down the field um so wilson in that respect is he's a fine signing i think he he knows what his role is and he does a pretty good job of it Uh, and the same thing with littleton littleton 
he had some really good years with the Rams, but when he signed that big deal with the Raiders, uh, just he just looked all out of sorts. He was not very good. So, no, I agree. Yeah, sort of a redemption story for him, and just it kind of gives you an opportunity to see if there's any type of um, juice still left. And uh, I'm not sure if you mentioned Xavier Woods. I thought that was a pretty good signing too, because yeah, no, um, you know, again, he kind of provides that range that you're looking for in the back end, and he's a pretty smart player. Yeah, it gets Chen back down low in the box where he belongs. Uh, from what I heard from a scout with the team who talked about Chen last year, one of the reasons they wanted him more back in, in a free type of situation was to give them an opportunity to take some of the mileage off of the wear and tear. And I thought that was an interesting perspective. This is according to somebody in the organization who knows Phil Snow very well. And their thinking was, let's give Chen an opportunity to see if he can flex the athleticism to play deep safety, but also get him out of the box a little bit and preserve him because he took a beating that first year. Um, but to me, I think Woods is a great signing. You know, Trey Boston had talked about them adding a third safety, um, and apparently it was Curse. That, so he's reporting that, not me. The Curse was a the guy they were going after, but that didn't land. Um, Tyron Matthews still out there. I don't know if they go that distance, but I think they're pretty solid right now. And I think to your point – Look, look at the schedule coming up. If I'm not mistaken, they're playing the AFC North. That's a run-heavy division. I mean, they're going to run it right down your damn throat, whoever you play, whether it's Mixon, whether it's Lamar Jackson and that attack, whether it's going to be the Steelers with Najee Harris, uh, the Browns, we know what they do. So I think part of this is to shore up the, the meat of the defense of guys like Wilson. Uh, obviously, Jermaine Carter is on the outs. Um, I think they're trying to, in the front seven there, improve their chances in the run game. I think so far they've done a pretty good job of that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there, John. Um, so let's uh, kind of dissect what the Panthers did as far as retaining their own. Uh, they, re- or they gave DJ Moore an extension, uh, which I feel like is well-deserved. It's three years, so it kind of gives him an opportunity to get back on the market fairly uh, quickly uh, whenever that deal expires. And uh, they also decided to uh, sign impending free agent Dante Jackson by bringing him back. Uh, you know, pretty solid deal for DJ Moore, but also very fair uh, given what some of these wide receivers are going for now. Um, yeah. So I have no real qualms with that. I mean, he's a top end wide receiver. I'm not going to tell you he's top 10 or top five. That's for other people to debate, but I thought he got paid a fair value for what his production so far has yielded. And then, I mean, the one I have a little questions with is DJ Moore. And I thought he, I mean, you guys might recall, I've been seeing his praises on this podcast. I thought he definitely showed um, a level of improvement last year. Uh, But there were games where he kind of got exposed, most notably against Washington. Uh, Scott Turner really decided to attack him. And you saw some of his kind of deficiencies show up. Uh, So, a little confused on that signing again because they've invested so much in that position, uh, with you know giving up a day two pick for CJ Henderson and obviously drafting top 10 and uh, for uh, JC Horn, who looks like he's healthy again. I'm seeing some of these workout videos, uh, so I don't know about that one. That's just one I just kind of scratch my head on a little, but I'm not going to be too critical of it. Uh, I mean, it is what it is. Um, what are your thoughts on both of those uh, players being retained? Yeah, I like DJ a lot. I mean, yeah, I think it's no secret that I've been very high on him as uh, as a guy who needs to continue to evolve in terms of his routes. 
but we've seen some improvement there. I think there were a couple of games last year on tape, Miami in particular, where it, it wasn't as good as it needed to be. But and that happens. It happens to most of them. Um, top ten, top five. I really don't. That's uh, beyond my scope. I'm not even worried about labeling him as such. He's a high producer. Um, you can do a lot of things with him. I think you know people that want to put him in a Debo Samuel mold and and start using him that way. You got to remember schematics are important. And I, I don't think Ben McAdoo is interested in in doing so much of that as he is maybe just more intermediate stuff with DJ getting the ball out quick tunnel screens, uh, slants, you know, just, just get the ball in his hands and let him go to work with the run after catch production. And occasionally let's, let's do a deep shot or two. Uh, Sam threw one of the worst deep balls consistently last year I've seen of any Panther in terms of just balls that were out of bounds, balls that were sideways. And, and then before that, obviously we had issues with, with Teddy, you know, inconsistency there. We, we anticipated that Newton it's well chronicled what's happened with, you know, his deep ball in terms of inconsistency, so if you're looking to get some some improvement there, you know, obviously that's going to take some time with your quarterback position. But just play to your strengths. I, I talked to Schofield, Mark Schofield, a while back uh, about what the next step could be a quarterback. And this is why he mentioned Garoppolo. And I, I'm not sure that's going to happen at this point or not, although never rule anything out. But what McAdoo wants, I think, is just short area competency, getting back to what Bridgewater was doing very well early on with Joe Brady. And uh, hit the short area inside the numbers is just fine. Uh, that's they just want to be efficient and move the ball and install some type of power run scheme to go with that. And I'm fine with that as long as it moves the chains. Uh, you know, could could Newton be a, a part of that? You know, I still contend there's some game left in that tank. But does he want to be here? Does Matt want him here? There's a lot to sort out there. But as far as DJ himself, yeah, I think he's produced at a high clip despite having to roll through, what, six, seven quarterbacks. So I give him high marks for that. Um, Robbie, how, how, how will he fare in year three with Carolina? I mean, that's a big question mark, too, because you and I have talked about the fact that he's been open. He's been out there. You know, it hasn't been all his fault, but the production has been down. <clears throat> so you're hoping maybe this gives him an opportunity with whomever the quarterback is to get some more open looks because now you have Marshall coming into year three. You've got uh, Higgins we talked about. Shy Smith looked good at times last year. Uh, so I'm all for locking up DJ Moore. I think it's one of those guys uh, that you're originally drafted. You got to hold on to him if you can. Uh, Dante, you know, look, I, I think when you invest that much in the corner position, as you talked about, when they go all in and, and trade for Stefan Gilmore, obviously it wasn't a lot, but they did make that move and they put that on the back burner. I would assume due to age more than anything, maybe cost, but Dante is not really, uh, I'm not sorry, but Stefan hasn't really caught on anywhere as of yet. Um, Raiders are rumored for a while. I wouldn't rule that possibility out, but I think that ship might have sailed. Um, one thing uh, that, that Gilmore did a great job of last year was matching up on tight ends, especially a guy like Kyle Pitts. I would assume Horn, much like he was earlier in the year on tape, moves around and, and takes on that role coming forward here. So it's, it's an interchangeable type of thing. The big wild card is C.J. Henderson, because we know Dante's going to have his ups and downs. Can C.J. develop? like they're hoping he can't because he's a top 10 pick Billy. We talked about his athletic score being high, but is his heart in it? Is the interest level there? Can they, can they rejuvenate him? I think Steve Wilkes was a great hire, by the way, he's going to be their coach in those DBs taking some of the pressure off Evan Cooper, who was tasked with that. And, and maybe Evan was sort of above his head there. I don't know, but I think Wilkes is, was an extremely competent defensive back coach here, defensive coordinator, he has ups and downs, but he's one of the better DB coaches in the league. So I think that's going to pay huge dividends having him back in the building. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could 
ask yourself a few questions about the Dante move. As far as DJ goes, I'm good with it. The numbers look clean. And, hey, you know, Christian Kirk, when he brings in that kind of money, you can't argue with what they did with Dante or with uh, DJ. Yeah, it's just how the market works sometimes. And uh, you got to pay your best players. And it seems like they have pretty decent cap room. Uh, uh, I don't see McCaffrey moving, especially after yesterday where they cleared um, or at least they kind of moved some signing bonus uh, to this year, which kind of prorates his salary in the future, which means he's probably going to be here uh, next year too. Uh, so that was an interesting decision. And uh, immediately my question becomes, and I think a lot of people want to know what are they going to do at the quarterback position? You and I, obviously we have our opinions on what they should do, but what they should do, they haven't really listened to us the past two years. So <laughs> they uh, never do. But they've been attending the pro day circuit. They were in Pittsburgh for Kenny Pickett's pro day. Uh, the yesterday they were in Lynchburg, and today they were in at Ole Miss for Matt Corral's pro day. Uh, I expect they'll probably be in Cincinnati for Desmond Ritter's pro day too. What are your and maybe they'll be in um, Chapel Hill for Sam Howell, depending on how they feel, but. Is this a situation now where, because the quarterback dominoes for all intents and purposes have fallen, okay? And they've, I mean, it just, it is what it is at this point. There really aren't many options left. Jimmy Garoppolo is one option. And I was, I think it was Peter King who said that Garoppolo for Sam Darnold straight up is a potential option because San Francisco, I guess, is their valuation of him is too high and teams aren't biting on it. So Carolina, they don't have a second or third round pick and supposedly like the 49ers want a day two pick. So either Carolina has to give them a day two pick in the future or Garoppolo's market isn't really at the level that the 49ers were expecting and they have to settle for a situation where they uh, you know, it's just a one-on-one trade, whether it's Darnold straight up for Garoppolo. Uh, but let's just remove Garoppolo aside because it seems like some reports at least have said nothing is imminent in that direction. Do you feel like rookie quarterback is in play for this franchise? Oh, I certainly do. I, I do. When you, when you look at what they've got uh, in terms of the, uh, the power structure and attendance for these pro days, I mean, they had – you know, everybody on hand for, for both of these, basically, in terms of Malik Willis, in terms of uh, evaluation on Kenny Pickett at Pro Day. And I think uh, the, there was a lot of attention paid to these guys at the Combine from some scouts I've talked to that uh, they, they still feel like Pickett. And I think most people would agree is the most ready to come in day one and process an NFL offense efficiently enough to, to be a day one starter. I think there's a growing sentiment that Willis's stock will rise now because, you know, you saw what you saw yesterday. He was 74 throws scripted, um, did some things off script too. that were pretty remarkable. And that's a hell of an arm talent. And I know you've done some film breakdown of Malik uh, that I had a chance to look at. I've looked at a little bit of tape myself and I just, I see some of the things you talk about and I agree in terms of some of the off scheduled runs, things that are, you know, improvisational, that's not going to happen in the NFL. You're not going to get away with some of that because when you look at Liberty's schedule, <laughs> let's just face it, when you're going against NFC or AFC North defenses next year, when you got Vitavea staring at your throat with guys like uh, JPP and others, it's, it's not going to be as easy to pull that kind of stuff off. 
and you don't want to run around in circles. You want to be able to set your feet, know what you're throwing at, and go for it. So I don't know. To, to me, Malik and Ben McAdoo isn't exactly the prime marriage. Um, I think Kenny's got a really good chance of being a Panther, just from, from those I've talked to. Now, is that a reach at six? I think so. Um, but what do you do? I mean, you look at the draft order. You, you're sandwiched between the Giants, and the Falcons and Seahawks are right there behind them. And they're quarterback needy right now, at least at the moment, unless you believe Drew Locke is the answer. And Mariota's basically got a one-year deal with an option. So I, I would look for those two teams to be in the mix too. But, yeah, I think it's very likely. I mean, Matt Corral had his pro day today. Uh, I'm still worried about his frame a little bit. I don't know if he's going to hold up in the NFL. He's got an injury issue too. Um, I think Ritter's an interesting wild card. And then Sam Howell, you've had some scouts talk about the fact that he could end up being one of the better quarterbacks in this draft, but he's not quite getting the run yet. Carson Strong, great arm. Bionic knee bothers me a little bit. But, I mean, that's that's a problem uh, in terms of durability. I think uh, he doesn't have, uh, let, let's say, any mobility whatsoever. He's basically Drew Bledsoe back there, which can work. But uh, I think in today's game, we talked about this with Mac Jones last year. One of the things I think you and I both were a little bit questionable about was, number one, could he carry you? Could he elevate you when things were down? And number two, when the pocket collapses, does he have intermediate athleticism to mitigate that and he does not so we saw what we saw with Matt and I think when you look back in hindsight we don't know what Justin Fields is yet I think I have a pretty good feeling that he can be better than what he was I think we've kind of seen what Mac Jones is so Pickett has more athleticism than Jones um, the hand size thing I don't pay much attention to it it's fun fodder um, he only fumbled once last year Billy I heard uh, Narduzzi talking about it on the radio the other day with uh guys on Sirius and it, it, he was, he made some good points without being like a salesman about it. So then I'll look, he had a ton of fumbles the year prior, clean that up. When you look at how many of those fumbles are his fault, you know, there weren't many. And then we went and cleaned it up. And then last year he had one fumble out of all those snaps. So yeah, I think he's a good quarterback. Is he of the level of Trevor Lawrence? Absolutely not. Um, I, I think those are, you know, lock and loaded day one guys you can put in and help grow. It's not like Trevor had a lot to work with, but that's just dysfunctional Urban Meyer situation last year and just injuries everywhere. But yeah, I could see it. And you know, to those who say that, oh, you know what, Matt rules, you can't do that. That might work counter to what you think. Maybe it buys more rule more time. You know, maybe it's like, you know what? Hey, I've drafted Pickett. Obviously, David Tepper is smitten with Pickett because he's a Pitt graduate. So let's just start there. And the fact that, you know, he's from Pittsburgh, meaning Tepper, um, they're, they're very much in on picket, I think. Now, will it happen at six? I don't know. And I think, again, it comes down to free agency, Billy. If they can have an understanding of what the left tackle situation going in is, and they should by then, whether it's Dwayne Brown, another veteran, whether they do like Christensen at left tackle, those are really your only two plays there. Because if you go in and you're not certain Christensen is your left tackle and you don't sign anybody and you pass on these crop left tackles, in the first round, and I hear they're really high on Charles Cross, among others. Um, I've also heard that. Look. Yeah, they love Cross. So I think unless you know you've got left tackle solid going into your OTAs, into summer camp, then you, you've got to draft left tackle. And, and you know what? If you miss out on picket, you miss out on picket. Uh, Willis, I know the cannon was impressive. I love some of the throws. I would just fire beware there because he's got a lot of growth to do, I think. Who? Just not, not Willis? off the field. Uh, Willis, yeah, not off the field. He is a dynamic guy off the field and on the field. I'm just not sure if he's quite there yet in terms of processing the NFL game, but I could be quite wrong. And what you would do with Willis is what Ron Rivera, 
Chudzinski, Shula did with Cam, is consult with Gus Malzahn in the case of Newton and, and throw a lot of those elements in the mix. Now, is Matt Rule and Ben McAdoo do willing to do that? I don't know. But I think the only way you do that is to do it smart. You bring Willis in and you consult with guys like Hugh Freeze and others who run that offense and incorporate some of the same elements into the offensive plan if your plan is to start them day one. And they've still got Sam Darnold on the hook for 18-5. So to your point last year, Billy, don't do anything hasty. Garoppolo giving up more trade capital that you don't have right now. Okay, but what if it was Darnold for Garoppolo straight up? Yeah, you know, that to me, if it's if it's straight up and there's no capital given up, okay. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Because there's not a huge margin in terms of what you're dealing with in terms of salary, I wouldn't believe. Yeah, I, I think that's an upgrade. Absolutely. But if they're giving up more draft picks, I'm 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 selling on that one. No, 100 percent agree. I, I think if they give up any draft picks for Garoppolo, especially when the Panthers have the leverage here because they have the draft in front of them, and there's other QBs that they could potentially sign, whether it's bringing back Newton, going for like an Andy Dalton type, or Nick Foles, like whatever. Like, I'm, I'm not saying you should go after them. I'm just giving you those options. Agreed. I think the big thing with Baker and with uh, Garoppolo's injuries, I mean, I think from looking at them, I'm saying, you know, Sam couldn't stay healthy last year. Um, they've had injury issues with Bridgewater. They had the same with Newton. Uh, Kyle Allen got dinged up. I mean, everybody's been dinged up here, and a lot of it's the line, but a lot of it's, you know, just the fact that these guys have been susceptible. So I think you've got to make sure that if you're going to make a deal for a guy like Baker, which I don't get the sense they will, or a guy like Garoppolo, you, you do your homework and make sure you understand where they are medically. Because uh, Jimmy's missed a lot of time, Billy. That's my only concern. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, that's 100%. I, I, and honestly, I don't even know, like, how much of a – role McAdoo has in this evaluation because if you recall his 2018 quarterback evals it seemed like he was very high on the like the toolsy prospect like a Josh Allen because he didn't really I don't think he cared for like a Rosen or a um what's his name I'm forgetting Baker Mayfield so and I don't know like Pickett just kind of goes against it I will say I know it's a fun joke and a lot of people are you know, having fun with that. I do think Kenny Pickett is better than what people are giving him credit for. And I, I think agree. people need to adjust their expectations of Pickett. You have to adjust and evolve every year. Like when you see a guy like Mac Jones come in and have success, and, and granted, uh, I think certainly the surrounding talent plus the scheme helped Mac, but I think Pickett is not too dissimilar. I think he's actually more athletic than Mac. I think Mac probably has uh, the propensity to make tighter window throws, uh, but I don't necessarily see a huge difference in talent levels between the two. And in fact, I think Pickett is more athletic. Uh, so I don't know. Like, what, like, let me just give you this example, okay? Who do you think was a better prospect coming out, Kenny Pickett or Daniel Jones? Oh man, that's a good company. I think Jones got a lot more height at the time. To me, yeah. when I look back, I mean, what do you, I mean, I, I think the thing with Pickett, if Pickett had nine and a half inch hands, we wouldn't be having a lot of conversations right now. No, I agree. I saw, I, I saw him play in the ACC. I saw him do some pretty damn good things in terms of read processing. Uh, one of his, one of his least effective games was against Clemson, but Venables always schemes things up and he still got the win. Um, still did enough in that game at Pitt. Yeah, he was very uh, impressive then, off script in that game. 
Yeah, he was. And they did a lot of things to try to throw some things at him. And that, that's the thing you got to look at. If you want to have success, uh, which I would assume Matt Rule would want, you know, you got to have a guy that can come in and, and, and read what's in front of him with, with a good amount of, a good amount of acceleration. And I think that's what Mac does very well. But it's like the point I made earlier, Mac's a sitting duck in the pocket and he was well insulated by a lot of what was there with him with a pretty good offensive line, good tight ends. They didn't get involved enough, by the way, but they had the tight ends there. Great running game. And now they're in a situation where, you know, that, that is sort of disintegrated a little bit from their roster building in. So yeah, to Carolina's point, yeah, they draft Pickett, they draft him at six. Just make sure you've got a good understanding that Brady Christensen is your left tackle, because I think after the draft, there's not many more options left there. And you're in the same situation where you got a rookie quarterback with very limited blindside protection, and that's not a good recipe. Can, let me just clarify. You don't think Dwayne Brown is an option for them in free agency? No, that's a good name. You're right. Um, I, I think Do you think Dwayne that ship is. has sailed? or like I'm just curious if you have any intel on that. No, I think he is. I don't have any intel right now that says that that's – Imminent. I think there were some reports that they were looking into him, but uh, I think they'll take their time with it. They'll they'll measure it up. I, I wouldn't if they if they signed Dwayne Brown in a couple of days, I wouldn't shock me, and that would be a tell, perhaps as to where they would go. Now I mentioned the other day if they did indeed go Brown, that could alter their first round plans. I don't think it totally changes them. I, I still think they could draft a Quano or one of these left tackles, Cross, if they come up. But I think it would it would give them more comfort in either trading back and hoping Willis is there or staying put and just drafting picket. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there, John, for, for sure. And I think that, um, you know, it's going to be interesting. Let's just kind of see how this all plays out. Um, final thoughts here. Uh, we're going to do a lot more draft prep to get you guys ready for the draft and, you know, as we close out here, John, you know, let's John move quarterback aside. What are some areas of this roster where you feel like they still need an upgrade in? One more time, Billy. I'm sorry. Yeah, moving quarterback aside, uh, because we just had that discussion. I want to I'm curious on your thoughts on where this franchise. Uh, the quarterback and left tackle, for that matter. Let's move those two positions aside. What other positions do you feel like they need to upgrade heading into 2022 season? I think a number of positions, Billy. I think if you look at some of the things they're dealing with, um, just again, it, left tackle comes to mind. And we've talked about that. But that's that's a hole right now in terms of what they're looking at. Um, quarterback, I mean, in terms of, the situation you know they, they've got to continue to look at what their best options are quarterback and if it's not Kenny Pickett and you're left with Sam Darnold um, you've got to perhaps look at what your backup options are there to compete at number two there with Darnold um, tight end I mean they <laughs> they've obviously got a lot of faith in Ian Thomas we get to talk about him uh, they gave him sort of upper middle market money for a tight end yeah that was one guy I did get in, and I think it's – I mean, you mentioned some guys on your timeline that, that have some potential to be top-line guys, and I think you could have gone into free agency and potentially upgraded there for a similar or just maybe a little higher cost, particularly with, you know, McAdoo, the sense I get from watching some of his old tape is that, you know, he does value that position, 
And I, I guess they see a lot of the, the growth from his blocking. I think we can both agree there were some growth elements there, but that's a lot of money to be throwing a guy who, who barely catches any balls and, uh, and, and is relegated to blocking. Um, edge, you know, I, it's hard to know. I mean, because, you know, Lavu flashed a lot on tape. And now he's going to be thrust into more snaps, more opportunities. Uh, a guy like Marcus Haynes, per snap, produced about as well as anybody. But when you give him a heavier workload, can he do it? Uh, YGM, uh, you know, he's been up and down. Uh, but when he's up, he's up. It looks good. Linebacker, I think they like what they have now. I don't know if they'll continue to add. You know, Wagner looks like he's signing with the Rams now, so that's out of play, and there's some consideration there. that They've got, you know, Wilson and Littleton now. Um, I, I don't know. I think that's about it. It's just kind of deciding what you're going to do at nickel. I think it's interchangeable. I think a lot of what you'll see is Hornet nickel um, in situations because he can play it. He plays it very well. He played it very well in limited action last year. Uh, Bouye is gone, so there's that. Um, and running back, I think they did a good job with Foreman, giving them some, some flexibility, brings you back to sort of the Mike Davis, you know, the, the build and, and, and body type and athleticism is probably not similar, but in terms of role, in terms of what they can do with their game, I think there's some similarities there. So I think they fill a lot of holes. They just got to figure out left tackle, backup quarterback and at edge, they got to be sure that what they've got in terms of what appears to be sort of platoon, you know, rotation opposite of Burns is going to be as dynamic as it was with Reddick, because Reddick was damn good, Billy. He was damn good. No, he you know, was, against the he run. Was. There were some there were some weaknesses in the run there, and I get that. And he would object to that, I think, on Twitter, talking about, you know, bulking up and look at the tape. I'm not soft against the run. But, you know, look, he's he's a chess piece type of player, and you're missing a lot of pressure production from him. So that's just something to keep an eye on. No, for sure. I'm not disputing that. I do think, though, that um, at least within this defensive scheme that they like to be creative and they like to send rushers from different positions. And, yep. and certainly you want to keep the blue chip talent that you develop. And that's probably why they still, um, you know, they're going to keep guys like Derek Brown and Brian Burns because they drafted yep. them highly. Um, so I, I do think that maybe like edge it, it's, um, I'm not saying they're going to take it, but I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens with Kayvon Thibodeau uh, because I would not be shocked if they took <laughs> Ed Rusher at number six overall. And uh, I agree. I, I just, I, I wouldn't be shocked by it at all. And then I, I just think like, you know, I, I'll give them credit, John. I, they did a lot of good things uh, in this free agency when I was skeptical, given the amount of holes that they had in their roster. Uh, so they deserve props in that regard. Again, the two things I probably dislike the most uh, where the Ian Thomas re-signing and the Dante re-signing, I feel like they could have done better uh, given the resources that were available to them. So, you know, John, that's, uh, that's where we're going to wrap it up. Um, you know, that's, we're going to do a lot more draft coverage and bring on some guests here. It can probably help us kind of dissect some of these quarterbacks and kind of get another set of opinions on it. Uh, and we'll also have some other guests who will kind of help review Carolina's offseason and where we see them going uh, in the future. Uh, John, anything you want to say before we sign off for the evening? Not at all, man. Look, great show. Glad to be back with you. Uh, Billy, you you in particular, and of course our listeners out there, we know have taken a few weeks here to to regroup. And, and thanks to Blue Wire again for you know sticking with us for another year. We're, we're signed and ready to roll. And it's going to be a fun season. Whether they win or lose, Billy, we're always going to have fun talking about it. So I'm glad to be back with you, man. 
All right, everyone. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.